0: Welcome to the New Day Community Church sermon podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Kalamazoo, Michigan campus. For more info on the church, visit newdaycommunity.org. We are in the middle of our upward journey. We're taking time to focus on who God is so we can know him better and be transformed to be like him. And so we've looked at many of his attributes over the last few months. And today we begin a four-week series on the book of Psalms. And so each week the speakers will select a particular psalm and uh, teach through it verse by verse. And so the psalms really speak of who God is. So it's the perfect segment to have in our Upward Journey trimester. All right, so before we jump in today, I want to give you guys um, some background on the book of Psalms because we will be spending the next four weeks um, looking at this. So, you ready? All right, I love the Psalms. There is a lot of beautiful uh, verses and chapters in there. So it's actually a collection. The the book of Psalms is a collection of 150 Hebrew um, songs, poems, and prayers that come from all different periods in Israel's history. Many of them are connected to King David, and the one that we're gonna look at today is. Um, But there are many different authors, and a lot of these poems came to be used as songs for Israel's choir. But the Psalms are meant to teach God's people the lifelong practice of prayer as they strive to obey his commands every day. The, the poems fall into two big categories, either poems of lament or poems of praise. The poems of lament um, express pain, fear, confusion, everything that's wrong with the world and ask the Lord to do something about it. And poems of praise are poems of joy and celebration, everything that's good in the world, uh, retelling the amazing things that God has done and thanking him and celebrating what he has done and we see that the praise poems actually begin to outnumber the lament poems the closer you get to the end of the book and this tells us something important about prayer that um, it's a it's appropriate to acknowledge the pains of life and the evil in the world but we don't stop there we move uh, toward praise and, and put our faith and hope in the expectation of, of what God is going to do in fulfilling his promises. Yeah, so that is, that is Psalms, and we are going to look at Psalm 23 today. This is probably the most familiar, maybe the most famous chapter in the book of Psalms, so we're looking forward to, do, to doing that. Let's read it together before we dissect it verse by verse. All right, you ready? Okay, Psalm 23. A, read uh, it together. A Psalm and a one and David. a two. <laughs> the, Lord
1: the Lord is my shepherd, shepherd. I shall, shall not want. Not. He, he makes me, me lie down, down in green pastures. pastures. He leads he me beside still waters. waters. He, restores he restores my soul. soul. He, he leads, leads me in paths, paths of, righteousness of righteousness for his, his name's sake. sake. It's not in there, but so be it anyway. <laughs> That's what amen means. For some reason, I just really enjoy watching your faces as you read the creed, when we read the Nicene Creed for communion or while we're doing that. I just like watching everybody look up and, and say it. It's kind of fun. You should try it sometime. Anyway, so the way we're going <laughs> to... Random, random note there. <laughs> the way we're going to break down the Psalm 23 today is Marilee is going to cover all the even verses, and I'm odd. So I will cover the odd verses. Um, It's going to be really good. We'll talk about the meaning of some of the Hebrew words, dissect each little piece and portion, and try to give you a look at um, a very famous chapter, like Marilee said, a little deeper. Hopefully you can see it in a new way, apply it in a new way, or uh, get a little more perspective. So we'll start with verse 1, because that's at the beginning. It's and it's odd. Thank you, Jen. <laughs> so it's a psalm of David. Uh, many of the psalms are, but not all. And, uh, and then we get into verse 1, where it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So, really, three things here. Let's look at the author, who is David. We'll look at shepherds and shepherding. And then, uh, I shall not want, and provision. So... David, I was kind of struck during worship this morning. It was a David kind of worship, I think. Um, the, the Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. Um, he was the youngest of eight sons of Jesse, and he was the shepherd for the family flock. So uh, David kind of comes on the scene um, as a shepherd. Um, he spent a lot of time out in, in the pastures with the sheep playing music, worshiping God, spending time with him. we find that out throughout his story and throughout a lot of the Psalms where he has this heart for worship. Um, And we also see just his love for the presence of God, for the house of God, for the ark, which was the physical representation of the presence of God in the Old Testament. So very, very cool. Um, He actually gets called from the fields back home um, to be anointed the next king of the whole nation. By uh, the prophet Samuel. That's in 1025 AD. So he's anointed to be the next king, but Saul is still currently king when that happens. So you've got this kind of awkward 15 years where it's like, oh, you're king, but I'm anointed the next king. So that results in Saul being pretty jealous and upset and wanting to kill David. So David's on the run for four to eight years and actually spends four years living in a foreign country because he's not safe in his own. Uh, So he's in Philistine for Four years. And then finally in 1010 AD, did I say AD? This is all BC. I put them all wrong. Typo check. You saw it. (laughs) That's why it goes down instead of up because it's BC. Wow. We'll we'll fix that for second service. (laughs) You guys get our typos. Thank you for being so kind. Nobody raised their hand and said, hey, you've got it all wrong. you're too nice i said i was out i lived up to it okay <laughs> so he becomes king before christ bc and uh one notable thing during his uh reign as king his son actually rebels and tries to take over the kingdom so david goes through all these ups and downs an amazing life we learn a lot about him when you look at the old testament you see a lot about um kind of the forefathers of the faith in Genesis. You learn a lot about Moses and David as one of the primary figures of the Old Testament. Um, Lots of ups and downs. And then it's believed that Psalm 23 was actually written near the end of his life. So it's kind of a psalm of reflection. Um, A man with a lot of experience, um, a lot of uh, ups and downs, and then he wrote the psalm. So that gives us our context. And then he, he was a shepherd and he starts with, The Lord is my shepherd. So what in the world did shepherds do in Old Testament times? They took care of sheep. Let's move on. <laughs> so what does that mean? You go and get the sheep from the pen in the morning. You lead them out to pasture so they can eat, find water, bring them all back at the end of the day. Hopefully all, right? Not, hopefully you don't lose any while you're out. Um, but a shepherd's role is to protect the sheep, get them fed and watered, bring them back. If there's one that's lost, you go and find them and bring them back. It's a very sacrificial job. You're on sheep schedule, sheep clock. You're getting up early, you're taking them out, you're out all day, you come back at night. And in fact, sometimes um, when the you have to go farther to find pasture during dry times of the year, they might have to stay out overnight and be gone a long time. Tough job. Important job. Um, Jesus called himself the Good Shepherd. So David says, The Lord Jehovah is my shepherd, B.C., before Christ. But then when Christ comes During his ministry in John 10, he actually calls himself the good shepherd. It's really a statement, I am the Lord, the good shepherd. Pretty bold statement. And the fulfillment of what David was writing about. We see it in John 10. Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I'm the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. No longer just talking about hard work to, to, um, lead and take care of the sheep, but literally Jesus died on the cross for us. Very, very cool. So the next stanza is, um, I shall not want, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You can also translate this, I lack nothing, or I have all I need. And uh, David is saying, when the Lord is my shepherd, he provides for me. And the same word is used frequently throughout the Old Testament to describe the Lord's provision to the nation of Israel when they came up out of Egypt and out of slavery, And went through the wilderness for many years before they entered the promised land. Kind of calls to memory how the Lord provided um, uh, leading for his people through the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. How he fed them with manna from heaven, bread that actually fell each day they could go and gather, and water when they were thirsty. Very, very cool. So the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Good verse.
0: All right, verse two, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Um, this verse really is just saying that, um, that the Lord as the good shepherd is going to provide everything that the sheep need and likewise provide everything that we need um, in our daily lives to provide rest and that rest um, is a part of the daily routine for the sheep and for us. So, um, he makes me lie down can be translated, he settles me down, um, or he makes me to rest. And so, it's like a parent would tuck in a child at night, right? They they have everything they need to rest. They've had their snack and their water. They're tucked in. They're not afraid. You know, they know that they're safe because their parents are there. And, um, and then they're able to rest. And it's interesting, the sheep are the same way. You can't actually make sheep sit or lay down uh, like you could a dog. Um, but they won't uh, do that on command. They just will lay down when their bellies are full, they've had water, and they um, have a surrounding where they don't feel threatened or scared, where they know they have a devoted shepherd protecting them from any predators they just will rest and so this is a beautiful picture of the way the father shepherds us green pastures so the shepherd provides the best eating the green pastures would be uh, it's translated the the new tender grass so this is the tasty stuff he's not going to take them to this dried out you know brown gross area they're surrounded in abundance um, with all this green grass he leads me. Um, it's, it, was, it was really fun as we studied this and we're learning all these little things about sheep and shepherds. And the more we learned, the more we could see the, these connections. Um, that was really exciting about how the Lord shepherds us. And so hopefully you guys get that. We can communicate that to you this morning. So he leads me. So this portion... Um, would, would be referring to the shepherd um, would actually walk ahead of the sheep and play his own unique tune on a pipe or sing his own unique call. And the sheep would know their shepherd's voice and would follow. Um, And so it's interesting. So they're just primarily attracted. They're tuned in and they're attracted to their shepherd's voice. So it was common at midday for several shepherds to gather together around one pool of water so that the sheep could all drink and rest. Well, then when one shepherd would decide to leave, all he would have to do is play his call or, or sing his tune. And his sheep would follow and, and the mixed flocks would, you know, separate and his sheep would follow him. And doesn't this sound like John ten twenty seven? my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And so likewise, we can hear the father's voice, know his voice and follow him in the midst of, you know, Our lives and all the different sounds and all the different things going on where we can tune in we can know what his voice sounds like and we can follow him in our lives yeah so and then the last little bit besides still waters okay I did not know this about sheep either but apparently they're terrified to drink from any type of moving water so if there's any little ripples even if it's shallow they will not drink from it so a loving Shepherd knowing this would actually dig um, short little channels that would lead away from the stream and provide still water for the sheep to drink from. And they kind of single file will wait and just drink from that still water. And so David is just saying, the Lord knows these things, and he provides um, what the sheep need. He provides what we need so that we can have rest and refreshment um, in in everyday life. And even in the midst of, like Bill said, the troubles and the things that David went through, you know, God provided him with these things. And I think sometimes in our lives it can feel like, yeah, there's not really rest for me in this season. Um, that sounds pretty impossible, <laughs> depending on what season you're in. But I just want to encourage you that God is amazing, and he's bigger than that, and he can provide Even if it's a short time, even if it's five minutes, and you're tuned in his voice, and he says, rest. And you're like, oh. And you just take advantage of that time to sit. I remember um, when Aaliyah was born, I had Micah. He was two. And then I've got this newborn. And so you would think, this is a time where there is no time to rest, right? Like, that's not really in the equation. And I asked the Lord, because I just needed some focus and some direction, I said, what do you have for me in this season? and he said, rest and enjoyment. I was like, really? Okay. <laughs> and I just felt him say, I'm gonna give you pockets of time. And so in a day, I'd be going about my business and maybe Aaliyah would have just got sat down for a nap or something and I'm thinking I'm gonna go rush and do something and I'd hear him say, rest. And I'm like, oh, okay. And so I'd take advantage and obey and sit down for five minutes. And it was amazing how he really will provide what we need in, in, in our lives for us.
1: So, so go for it, no matter
0: what season you're in.
1: Mm-hmm. All right, verse 3. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So uh, this is kind of two sides of a coin here. Th- this verse talks about lost sheep and found sheep because he restores my soul can also be translated, he brings me back, which kind of implies uh, repentance um, and a lost sheep. And then he leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. So this is a found sheep being led, like Marilee was talking about, by its shepherd. So uh, a lot of the study that we did for this morning is from this book, so I just wanted to show it to you in case you wanted to study a little more about um, shepherds, or shepherding, or the Good Shepherd. It's a really good book. Kenneth E. Bailey, The Good Shepherd, A Thousand-Year Journey from Psalm 23 to the New Testament. So it covers Psalm 23, and it covers eight other passages in the Bible that talks about um, the tradition of the Good Shepherd. So let's read a little quote from it about this, he brings me back thing. So Bailey said, The translation, he brings me back, makes clear the sheep is lost and the good shepherd is obliged to go after it, find it, and carry it back. We've lost the image of a lost sheep at the heart of Psalm 23. Restoring this image opens the door to reconnect with the rest of the good shepherd, lost sheep, biblical stories. So sometimes we can think of he restores my soul only in the context of um, I was hurting or I was down and the Lord picked me up and made me feel better which is very true, but it's also this thing about a wandered, you know, wandering lost sheep that the shepherd has to go and find and pick up and carry home. Um, it's kind of interesting when a sheep gets lost, eventually it'll just kind of sit down and, and give up <laughs> and just wait. And then when it hears that shepherd's call, the shepherd's looking for it, can't find it, and will call as he searches. Um, when the sheep hears it, it'll let out its bleat. Um, I'm trying to prevent, you know, saying any bad puns this morning, but this is the time for one right there. (laughs) So the lost sheep, when he hears the shepherd's call and is just sitting down and has given up, will actually call back out and then the shepherd can hear it, come and find it. And the sheep's in this weird mode where it's, it's not really going to be led home, but the shepherd actually will pick it up and carry it home. Kind of like the picture we saw on the cover there, this famous picture somebody did of Jesus with a Sheep on his shoulders and a shepherd's crook in his hand. Um, that's kind of how it really goes with lost sheep, I'm told, by Bailey. So uh, David had experience with being a lost sheep, right? Uh, we can read about um, the situation where he's king, he's on his rooftop, he sees a pretty lady and takes her for his own, even though she's married, and then kills her husband to try to cover up for it. Pretty, uh, pretty rough <laughs> patch there for David. That's a wandering sheep right there. He's lost in sin at that point. He's actually confronted about it by the prophet Nathan, um, and he repents, and he comes back into right relationship with God. He's truly sorry for what he did, and he truly changes his way. Um, And so he experienced this idea of being lost in a spiritual sense, being sought and found by God, who sent the prophet, having to repent, return, and then once again be led by his shepherd in paths of righteousness. Um, Jesus... Draws from this in the parables in Luke 15. Jesus tells three parables, or maybe it's one, retold in three different ways. Um, when he talks about the lost sheep, he says, "Who of you, having a hundred sheep, when one is lost, won't leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness, go find the one and and bring it back?" Um, and that shepherd, when he finds the lost sheep, comes home and, and says, "Friends, let's celebrate! I found my sheep who's lost." And then the sh- the lost coin is. A woman who loses a coin in the house, lights every lamp to make it as uh, lit up as possible inside the house, sweeps and searches until she finds the coin, and again invites friends to come celebrate having found um, the lost coin. And then the story of the prodigal son is a continuation. The son wants his inheritance, goes and squanders it, and at the end he comes back and the father goes out to meet him, rejoices, welcomes his son home, and throws a party. Um... So actually, again in Luke 19, Jesus said um, about himself, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. So he's putting himself in this place of, I'm the good shepherd. I've come to seek those who are lost, to find them, to carry them home. This is my purpose, and the Father and I rejoice when I find one and bring it home. Very, very cool. So then, found sheep. Are led in paths of righteousness for his namesake, namesake. So when we come into right relationship with the Father, then we follow. Um, kind of a side tangent point, an interesting fact. In Matthew, Jesus says, follow me six times. In Mark and Luke, he says, follow me four times. In the Gospel of John, he says, follow me six times. So there's there's that common theme again from Jesus: follow your shepherd, follow the good shepherd when you're in relationship with him. And we see it from David in Psalm 119. He wrote, you know, what it looks like to follow. He said, How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. So lost sheep, found sheep, following their shepherd in verse 3.
0: All right, verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So this verse really acknowledges that, you know, David went through very difficult times, and uh, he knows that that's, you know, something that could happen again, even though these happen, um, and he walks through, right? (laughs) We're glad that we don't have to take up residence and stay in those places, Uh, But we walk through them, and the comfort is there that God is with us. And um, so that is is how we can get through those places. But um, So the valley of the shadow of death, these were actual um, places, and there would have been many of them around where David was shepherding. They were um, steep, narrow gorges where winter streams would cut deep, long crevices in the rock, and there would be stretches of the path where there was no other route around. You had to walk through these valleys of the shadow of death. And um, it, was, it was, could be scary because, for one, it was dark, so you can't see. And at points, it's so narrow that the sheep can't turn around. And then there would be other points where it would be a little wider. Um, but there was a the constant threat of boulders crashing down to crush the the shepherd or the sheep and then bandits would hide out and and rob and steal and so these were you know kind of scary places and um and so david had to take his sheep through these Um, but what he said and i love this part fear no evil so the word fear can be translated to hold in awe or reverence or revere so David was not going to hold evil. You know, he wasn't going to hold that in awe and reverence and, and, and be um, afraid and give it his honor and respect. He wasn't going to do that with evil. He was only going to do that with the Lord. And so we can really see that journeying through valleys like this in our life doesn't have to destroy our joy, right? It's the fear that destroys the joy and we can, um, the sheep could trust that devoted shepherd to keep them safe while they were going through um, these places. Um, and it's great that the journey doesn't end there, right? They get to pass through. Um, and then, so Bill Menser made a great quote in reference to this verse. <laughs> he wrote, he said, This verse highlights a stark contrast between fear and trust. Sheep led by their shepherd have the choice to focus on the fear of the unknown or place their trust in the shepherd and his ability to care for them, whatever may come. Very, very well done. I had to share that. No book cover
1: to show you on that one. (laughs) Um,
0: And then the next phrase is actually the key point of the psalm, for you are with me. It was common... uh, to structure uh, the way that they would write. The common structure would be to put your key point in the middle, in the center. Um, and the stunning statement he changes, instead of referring to God as he, he then says, you, for you are with me. And so we see that phrase is like the climax of the, of the chapter, for you are with me. And, and really, this is the main point of the whole Bible, God with us, Emmanuel, Jesus came. Emmanuel means God with us. And so we have this truth being communicated to us that we have a God who is near, who is with us. And this is so important. The sheep would need a shepherd who is with them because they have no natural defenses. They don't have claws or sharp teeth. They can't run speedy fast. They can do a little head-butting, but that's about it. And so they need this uh, shepherd to care for them, to be with them. Okay, your rod. Next slide. Your rod and your staff. Okay, so um, these would have been the two main tools, instruments that the um, shepherd would have. David, it was common also for shepherds to have a slingshot Obviously, a sling, not a sling, a sling. Um, And obviously, David was good with that as well. But this verse doesn't mention the sling. So your rod and your staff. This is so cool. So the rod is actually a masculine noun, and the staff is a feminine noun. And um, I think this is really neat how, you know, God is spirit, and, and so he's not male or female, but he created male and female in his image. So in a a female, we see traits of God, and in a male, we see traits of God, and the rod and the staff really show that. This is really cool. So um, the rod would have been the shepherd's main offensive offensive weapon, and this displays God's aggressiveness in defending his sheep. So it would have been like a... um, a scepter or, or this rod that would be about two and a half feet long with a mace like end with heavy pieces of iron embedded in it. And um, so they could, you know, defend the sheep and, and kill animals that were trying to attack. And actually, this is what uh, David used when he fought off the lions and the bears. In 1 Samuel 17:34 and 35, he's defending himself before King Saul, saying, no, I really can go against Goliath, and here's why. This is what I've done. And David says, and when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck and delivered the lamb from his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. So clearly, he's using this rod. This is a close range com, you know, combat in, in, right next to him. So um, that is what the rod represents. It also, another use for the rod was uh, to count the sheep at the end of the night. So when the sheep would come back, they would have to go one by one back into the pen, and the rod, they would have to pass under the rod, and the shepherd would count them. And if there was one, you know, if he was a sheep or two short, then he would immediately begin a search. And so that rod al- also offered assurance that if I'm lost, he's going to find me. He's going to find out, and he's going to get me. And um, so he will fight for me, and he's going to come for me. So that's the rod. The staff um, is is more was more like a walking stick, and this was a huge... The shepherd needed this. This was a huge support for walking to lean on. The shepherds would have to climb, and they needed that staff. Um, it, was long, it was much longer than the rod, about five feet long with a crook on one end, and um, so the shepherd could actually direct um, the edges of the flock into the right direction with the staff. Um, also, if a sheep or a lamb were to fall into a deep, crevice or into a stream the shepherd could um could hook the lamb by the leg or the shoulder and gently pull it back out onto the path um so it could rescue so the the staff really represents god's nurture and his caring for the sheep and his um as he leads them in daily you know the daily search of food and water and rest um so this is the kind of that gentle guidance of the staff. And so um, David says that last phrase, they comfort me. So the sight of these two instruments, the rod and the staff, would have been a comfort to the sheep, knowing that they have the protection of the rod and the gentle guidance
1: of the staff. Verse 5. That's good. I don't know, if you, if you feel slightly cold in the sanctuary this morning, I recommend a wool sweater. All right, verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. So uh, three things here, a celebration feast, oil and a cup. So um, we already talked about this, uh, but I'll bring it back up. So um, we've been lost sheep, we've been found, carried back, led by the shepherd, Rod and staff comforting. We've been through the valley of the shadow of death. And so the culmination is the celebration feast. Hey, we did it. This is amazing. You came and found me. You're awesome. And, and the Father and Jesus um, rejoicing over the lost sheep, the lost coin, the, the prodigal son in the parables in um, Luke 15. So very, very common in Middle Eastern culture to, um, to have a big feast for weddings, big occasions, you invite everybody um, and celebrate. So, oil has two things that we see in the Bible. One is like perfumed oil to honor a guest. So an example of this you can find, I think it was Luke 7, where Jesus is invited to the house of Simon the Pharisee, and he says, oh, when I came, you didn't offer me any water to wash my feet, and you didn't anoint my head with oil. But this woman, who is a sinner, Um, washed my feet with her tears, and, you know, and um, um, anointed me with the perfumed oil. So this was a common thing in Middle Eastern culture. That's just one example of it, but it's all through the Old Testament as well, where um, you offer that to an honored guest. It's a way to honor them, to show them that they're important. And so the Lord, my shepherd at the celebration feast, is offering me this, this honor by giving me the oil. The other use for oil that we see in the Bible is anointing oil, used for granting an office. So it doesn't mean like the corner office, like with the window seat. It means like a position. So in Leviticus 8, uh, Moses anoints Aaron to be priest and actually initiates the whole priesthood that we see for the whole rest of the Old Testament. But it all starts with uh, Aaron and his sons being washed with water and anointed with oil to take that job and that role. And then David, remember, at the start of, of all of the king's stuff. He was anointed by the prophet Samuel with oil and, and he said, you're going to be the next king. Um, so he was anointed to take the office of king, even though he didn't get to actually take it for 15 years. So <clears throat> it's like David saying, Lord, I'm your honored guest and I'm anointed by you. This is amazing. What a celebration. Um, what, what honor and blessing you're heaping on me. And then my cup overflows So, um, overflows is actually abundance. That word means abundance as well. So it's like saying, God, I can't, I can't contain all of your provision. I can't contain all of your blessing, you know, or it kind of speaks to the fact that the Lord goes over the top for me as my enemies look on. They can watch, but he's going over the top to show how much he loves me. Um, and again, with the Middle Eastern culture thing, it was kind of like, um, like the comparison to our world is if, if you're rich and wealthy and you want to show off, you buy a Lamborghini and a big mansion and people see it, you know, drive by, see your house with the gate and look with their binoculars way up the driveway at your Lamborghini and they're really impressed, right? So like in Middle Eastern culture, a long time ago, the way that people would kind of show off or celebrate um, good fortune and wealth is to have a big meal and have people come and see and they serve them more food than they could possibly eat. And have more wine available than could possibly be drank and just celebrate for days. So this is the over-the-top thing. In, and the honored guest at the celebration is David. So it, it just kind of shows the culmination of this life experience of, you're my shepherd, I wandered, you found me, you brought me home, you've led me through thick and thin, and here we are um, enjoying the fruits of all of that. Which brings us to our final the verse. The last
0: verse. Verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So um, at the end of the day, the shepherd would often follow behind the sheep on the way home because unless a sheep was lost, if, if they were kind of in the direction, they knew how to get home. In the morning, they wouldn't necessarily know where they're going out for the day, but they knew how to get home. And so the shepherd would often follow behind and be a rear guard for the sheep. So instead of, you know, bears or lions following behind in danger, you know, looking to pick off any young lambs or any stragglers, it's the shepherd who follows behind with goodness and mercy. And that is what follows behind and surrounds us and, and hear the sheep. So... So goodness uh, can be translated prosperity. This is you know a lot of what Bill just talked about in verse 5. Happiness, kindness, that is what is surrounding us as we go. And then mercy can be translated um, faithfulness, obligation, this, this covenant, devotion, faithfulness to the, she- to the sheep. And then also favor, love, and um, undeserved mercy. And so these are the things that are following the sheep. And then dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And so this is just David kind of closing this this poem with his um, devotion that, you know, I want to be in your presence. I want to abide and remain where you dwell, Lord, and for all the lengths of my days forever. And we know that David just loved the presence of the Lord, and so um, he's just uh, confessing to the Lord that that is, that is his heart's desire for the rest of his life. So in, in response to this chapter and in conclusion, um, I hope that you know as, as we've talked through what the good shepherd is and what God is really like as he shepherds us, our hope is that um, with that knowledge that it would go deep and it would actually draw you toward the Lord um, into deeper intimacy. You know, if you have this picture of the rod and the staff being something that the shepherd would club the sheep over the head with or something, you know, that is going to keep you distant. And um, But when you know the truth... of of the way the Lord cares for us and the way he leads you, um, you're going to be drawn into him. And we sang this morning during worship, I want to know your heart. I want to know your heart. And David was a man after God's own heart, and he knew God's heart. And so I think, you know, in writing this, he wanted people to know this is really what God's like, and come near, come close. If you're lost, he, can, he wants to find you and bring you in and care for you. Um, if you're in need of rest, he can provide that for you. He provides all of our needs and celebrates with abundance in our lives. So hopefully this was a blessing to you as we're looking at who God is in this series. So let's stand and close in prayer.
1: Father God, we just thank you that you are a good shepherd to us. That when we are lost, you will come and find us. We can count on you to do that. That you lead us into good things. That you have abundance for us. You have blessing for us. And even when times are hard, we have all we need, God. We just put our faith and trust in you In those words. And I pray that you'd help each of us to apply these things to our life this week and in the weeks to come to follow you more closely. just to love you deeply and and go deeper into relationship with you. We thank you for the cross, Jesus, that you were willing to suffer and die for us to bring us into relationship with you, with the Father. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.